Chapter 19 of Master of Life and Death by Robert Silverberg. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. He returned to New York alone, late that night, too tired to sleep and too wide awake to relax. He felt like a poker player who had triumphantly topped four kings with four aces, and now was fumbling in his hand trying to locate some of those aces for his skeptical opponents. The alien had accepted his offer. That was one solid fact he was able to cling to on the lonely ride back from Nairobi. The rest was a quicksand of ifs and maybes. If Lamar could be found. If the serum actually had any value. If it was equally effective on Earthmen and Durnans. Walton tried to dismiss the alternatives. He had made a desperately wild offer, and it had been accepted. New Earth was open for colonization if the world outside the jet was a dark blur he had left nairobi at 0518 nairobi time jetting back across the eight intervening time zones he would arrive in new york around midnight ultra rapid jet transit made such things possible he would live twice through the early hours of june 19th new york had a 15 minute rain scheduled for 0100 that night Walton reached the housing project where he lived just as the rain was turned on. The night was otherwise a little muggy. He paused outside the main entrance, letting the drops fall on him. After a few minutes, feeling faintly foolish and very tired, he went inside, shook himself dry, and went to bed. He did not sleep. Four caffeine tablets helped him get off to a running start in the morning. He arrived at the Cullen building early, about 0835, and spent some time bringing his private journal up to date, explaining in detail the burden of his interview with the alien ambassador. Some day, Walton thought, a historian in the future would discover his journal and find that for a short period in 2232, a man named Roy Walton had acted as absolute dictator of humanity. The odd thing, Walton reflected, was that he had absolutely no power drive. He had been pitchforked into the role, and each of his successive extra-legal steps had been taken quite genuinely in the name of humanity. Rationalization? Perhaps, but a necessary one. At 0900, Walton took a deep breath and called Keeler of security. The security man smiled oddly and said, I was just about to call you, sir. We have some news at last. News? What? Lamar, we found his body this morning, just about an hour ago. Murdered. It turned up in Marseille, pretty badly decomposed, but we ran a full check, and the retinal's absolutely Lamar's. Oh, Walton said leadenly. His head swam. Definitely Lamar, he repeated. Thanks, Keeler. Fine work. Fine. Something wrong, sir? You look. I'm very tired, Walton said. That's all. Tired. Thanks, Keeler. You called me about something, sir, Keeler reminded him gently. Oh, I was calling about Lamar. I guess there's no point in. Thanks, Keeler. He broke the contact. For the first time, Walton felt totally desperate, and out of despair came a sort of deathlike calmness. With Lamar dead, his only hope of obtaining the serum was to free Fred and wrangle the notes from him.
but Fred's price for the notes would be Walton's job. Full circle, and a dead end. Perhaps Fred could be induced to reveal the whereabouts of the notes. It wasn't likely, but it was possible. And if not? Walton shrugged. A man could only do so much. Terraforming had proved a failure. Equalization was a stopgap of limited value. And the one extrasolar planet worth colonizing was held by aliens. Dead end. I tried, Walton thought. Now let someone else try. He shook his head, trying to clear the fog of negation that suddenly surrounded him. His thinking was all wrong. He had to keep trying, had to investigate every possible avenue before giving up. His fingers hovered lightly over a benzolurethane tablet, then drew back. Stiffly, he rose from his chair and switched on the annunciator. I'm leaving the office for a while, he said hoarsely. Send all calls to Mr. Eglin. He had to see Fred. Security Keep was a big, blocky building beyond the city limits proper. A windowless tower near Nyack, New York. Walton's private jetcopter dropped noiselessly to the landing stage on the wide parapet of the building. He contemplated its dull bronze metallic exterior for a moment. Should I wait here? the pilot asked. Yes, Walton said. With accession to the permanent directorship, he raided a private ship and a live pilot. I won't be here long. He left the landing stage and stepped within an indicated screener field. There was a long pause. The air up here, Walton thought, is fresh and clean, not like city air. A voice said, What is your business here? I'm Walton, director of Popeek. I have an appointment with security head Martinez. Wait a moment, Director Walton. None of the obsequious surring and pleasing Walton had grown accustomed to. In its way, the bluntness of address was as refreshing as the unpolluted air. Walton's keen ear detected a gentle electronic whir. He was being thoroughly scanned. After a moment, the metal door before him rose silently into a hidden slot, and he found himself facing an inner door of burnished copper. A screen was set up in the inner door. Martina's face confronted him. Good morning, Director Walton. You're here for our interview? Yes. The inner door closed. This time, two chunky atomic cannons came barreling down to face him snout first. Walton flinched involuntarily, but a smiling Martinez stepped before them and greeted him. Well, why are you here? To see a prisoner of yours, my brother Fred. Martinez frowned and passed a delicate hand through his rumpled hair. Seeing prisoners is positively forbidden, Mr. Walton. Seeing them in person, that is. I could arrange a closed-circuit video screening for you. Forbidden? But the man's here on my word alone. I... Your powers, Mr. Walton, are still somewhat less than infinite. This is one rule we have never relaxed, and never will. The prisoners in the keep are under constant security surveillance, and your presence in the cell block would undermine our entire system. Will video do? I guess it'll have to, Walton said. He was not of a mind to argue now. Come with me, then, said Martinez. The little man led him down a dim corridor into a side room, 
one entire wall of which was an unlit video screen. You'll have total privacy in here, Martinez assured him. He did things to a dial set in the right-hand wall and murmured a few words. The screen began to glow. You can call me when you're through, Martinez said. He seemed to glide out of the room, leaving Walton alone with Fred. The huge screen was like a window directly into Fred's cell. Walton met his brother's bitter gaze head-on. Fred looked demonic. His eyes were ringed by black shadows. His hair was uncombed. His heavy-featured face unwashed. He said, Welcome to my palatial abode, dearest brother. Fred, don't make it hard for me. I came here to try to clarify things. I didn't want to stick you away here. I had to. Fred smiled balefully. You don't need to apologize. It's entirely my fault. I underestimated you. I didn't realize you had changed. I thought you were the same old soft-hearted dope I grew up with. You aren't. Possibly. Walton wished he had taken the benzolurethane after all. Every nerve in his body seemed to be jumping. He said, I found out today that Lamar's dead. So? So there's no possible way for Popeek to obtain the immortality serum except through you. Fred, I need that serum. I promised it to the alien in exchange for colonization rights for Procyon 9. A neat little package deal, Fred said harshly. Quid pro quo. Well, I hate to spoil it, but I'm not going to tell where the quo lies hidden. You're not getting that serum out of me. I can have your mind blasted, Walton said. They'll pick your mind apart and strip it away layer by layer until they find what they want. There won't be so much of you left by then, but we'll have the serum. No go. Not even you can swing that deal, Fred said. You can't get a mind pick permit on your lonesome. You need the president's okay. It takes at least a day to go through channels. Half a day if you pull rank. And by that time, Roy, I'll be out of here. What? You heard me clear enough. Out. Seems you're holding me here on pretty tenuous grounds. Habeas corpus hasn't been suspended yet, Roy, and Popeek isn't big enough to do it. I've got a writ. I'll be sprung at 1500 today. I'll have you back in here by 1530, Walton said angrily. We're picking up to Cassio and that whole bunch. There'll be sufficient grounds to quash your habeas corpus. Ah, maybe so, Fred said, but I'll be out of here for half an hour. That's long enough to let the world know how you exercised an illegal special privilege and spared Philip Pryor from happy sleep. Wiggle out of that one, then. Walton began to sweat. Fred had him neatly nailed this time. Someone in security evidently had let him sneak his plea out of the keep. Martinez? Well, it didn't matter. By 1500, Fred would be free, and the long-suppressed prior incident would be smeared all over the Telefax system. That would finish Walton. Affairs were at too delicate an impasse for him to risk having to defend himself now. Fred might not be able to save himself, but he could certainly topple his brother. There was no possible way to get a mind-pick request through before 1500. President Lanson himself would have to sign the authorization and the old dotterer would take his time about it. 
mind-picking was out but there was still one weapon left to the head of popeek if he cared to use it walton moistened his lips it sounds very neat he said i'll ask you one more time will you yield lamar's serum to me for the use in my negotiations with the durnan are you kidding no fred said positively not to save your life or mine i've got you exactly where i want you roy where i've wanted you all my life and you can't wriggle out of it i think you're underestimating me again walton said in a quiet voice and for the last time he stood up and opened the door of the room a gray-clad security man hovered outside will you tell mr martinez i'm ready to leave walton said the jet-copter pilot was dozing when Walton reached the landing stage. Walton woke him and said, Let's go back to the Cullen building, fast. The trip took about ten minutes. Walton entered his office, signaling his return, but indicating he wanted no calls just yet. Carefully, thoroughly, he arranged the various strands of circumstance in his mind, building them into a symmetrical structure. De Cassio and the other conspirators would be rounded up by nightfall, certainly. But no time element operated there. Walton knew he could get mind-pick authorizations in a day or so, and go through one after another of them until the whereabouts of Lamar's formula was turned up. It was brutal, but necessary. Fred was a different problem. Unless Walton prevented it, he'd be free on his writ within hours. And when he revealed the prior incident, it would smash Walton's whole fragile construct into flinders. He couldn't fight habeas corpus, but the director of Popeek had one weapon that legally superseded all others. Fred had gambled on his brother's softness, and Fred had lost. Walton reached for his voice right, and, in a calm, controlled voice, began to dictate an order for the immediate removal of Frederick Walton from the security keep and for his prompt transfer to the euthanasia clinic on the grounds of criminal insanity end of chapter 19 of master of life and death by robert silverberg